Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Toddcast Podcast. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and at ToddHancock.ca. Hi. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm pretty good. You? You're such a guy. Should we wait five minutes? No. <laughs> totally right. You're like, yeah, I, I, I'm in my pajamas. I'm like, well, you could be the first person to do this in pajamas if you want to. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. How are you doing? How are things? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What a crazy last decade. Well, yeah, even no you, you've, you've done it. You've done quite the shift of, you know, expectations. Yeah. I mean, obviously leaving Rogers after almost 20 years, uh, to pursue something that I think is probably into that future realm and not want to miss out on that. That's a, that was a big move and moving back, obviously, you know, moving to Ontario and then moving back to Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, you know, that kind of thing, but yeah, no, it's, it's been great. And uh, you know, it's a, it's an exciting time in the world. You're doing lots of teaching that I'm seeing and. Yeah. Teaching at uh, BCIT, uh, basically, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm running their media labs, you know, yeah. on air and video performance and, audio performance and script writing and all that stuff it's super fun and you're doing what i do but for live selling talent yeah yeah totally (laughs) and same and same sort of thing like you know when i got let go from c fox so many people were like dude just you know apply somewhere else and go to lethbridge or go to kamloops and it's like i don't really want to do that like vancouver's my home and yeah you know and and when i started this podcast like nobody in the city like nobody had one so like you, like, you know, I read your website and you're like, you know, media is different. It's not just, it's not TV and you have a ton of experience at like 40,000 hours of, you know, live hosting. And I think I probably have close to 20, 25,000 of radio, but it doesn't mean that we need to do that. Right. Like that's the beauty of, and it's just such a, like, it's the wild west, this yeah. podcast, like, you know, it, it makes me want to push my friends that are in radio, like you know, get into podcasting, make, well, make I, money on the side. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, and, and to that point of the wild west, right? Like, I mean, CRTC is not, it's different, right? You don't have the same restrictions. I mean, you also don't have the same security, you know, sure. when you're an entrepreneur, but you know, if you're hungry, if you're um, driven, if you have something that other people don't have, or you can, you know, amplify in a way that maybe they wouldn't have the opportunity in traditional broadcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's lots of work for everyone, you know, to your point of of some of the stuff you're doing. I mean, I kind of do that for other people as well. There's room for both of us because we both bring different talent. And then when I bring kind of my live selling and live, you know, shopping experience into what I've my newest incarnation, which is live selling school, mm-hmm. um, to teach people not only on camera confidence and all of that, but how do you sell through the screen right so yeah i mean there's lots to talk about and you know lots of opportunities for people that want them that's what i think anyway and and it's nice i mean listen i'm it's nice to have a husband who has a good job so i can sort of pursue this and not worry as much but at the same time i mean you know i'm driven and i'm an entrepreneur and i'm somebody who is dependent and it's nice to sort of have that freedom to sort of play this out and see where it goes Mm -hmm. yeah no same for me like the first couple of years of of this podcast it was just this and i was scrambling and i was trying to do as many live shows as possible and it was mental and then as soon as i get you know offered to go to bcit it's like oh okay now it's not so bad like now i've got that and now i can focus on just you know the fun and, and the creativity of what we do in this industry right it's so much better that way 
you know, not we take for granted what we can do. Yeah. But I think we take for granted too what we can do and think that, oh my God, it's so easy, but it's easy because because we do it. We've breathed it and we lived it for, you know, decades, right? In in, yeah. in our cases. I think we forget the simplest thing like having a well lit set. You know, I I did a I did an interview uh the other day with somebody and and actually forget even that. I mean, have, how many times are you watching the news on any station? Global CT doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And there are experts that are on there, even on the regular, and they are backlit and they have their camera. They're, they're going like this <laughs> and they're, and I'm thinking to myself, I could, what are you doing? Yeah, I could charge a, charge a dollar, charge a dollar. Let me show you how, let me put together a little video. It's a dollar to learn how to set up, to look good on camera for when you're doing anything, even a meeting on zoom. And I tell mm-hmm. you, I'd probably be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Right. And, and where did you get your start uh, in media? Oh my gosh. I fell into it. Right. I I was, I was, I mean, I'm a singer. I mean, I don't really sing anymore, but I was born and raised in Edmonton and I was a jazz singer, uh, released a couple of albums. Uh, The end of my first album, I was promoting my music quite a bit on, on uh, kind of like, you know, breakfast television in Edmonton. Right. It was called big breakfast back then. And uh, at some point the, you know, I would do my music there. I would sing there. I'd promote my gigs Uh, the odd time. I mean, they, they really were great to me because they would sometimes send a camera out to my gigs, you know, covered my CD release party and all of that. Anyway, um, at some point they kind of said, why don't you come and audition to be like, this is back in the day when you called it the weather girl, right? Right. <laughs> that, sure. you know, you're right. You're the weather girl and uh, come and audition. <laughs> right. So I, uh, so I auditioned and I was not very good. I actually put that audition on YouTube just to kind of show that everybody starts somewhere. Sure. It's called Don Chubay Vintage Video, if anyone wants to look at it. Um, and this, you know, I'd just come back from Korea. I was performing in Korea for uh, the Alberta Travel Expo, and I was representing Alberta, along with uh, Laura Vinson, who is an Indigenous um, group and dancers and everyone there. And I came back, and it was the day after I returned, so I was completely jet-like because, you know, working on Asian time and coming back to Canada. And I auditioned. It was not very good at all. Uh, They sent me a note saying, oh, you know, we're going to go with someone a little more experienced. I'm like, that's fine. You called me. I didn't even audition for this. I have a job. Uh, You know, I was working in in public relations for a nursing association. So, you know, I I left it at that. I, you know, still obviously loved the show. And I still knew I would have potential to perform and promote my gigs on the show. And I think it was about three weeks later. I don't know. It was a long time. It was 23 years ago. And they said, hey, you've made it to like the final three. And I'm like, how did that happen? You told me I sucked. <laughs> like, you know. How bad were everybody else? Like- exactly. And they said, well, you know, we know you don't have any television experience. You didn't go to, it's Nate in Alberta, but that would be like the BCIT, right? And they go, uh, well, you know, we know that you didn't, you know, have any of the education that other people did. So, you know what, we're going to, in early, we're going to spend a couple minutes with you and, and give you kind of like a flash course, right? I'm like, all right. Wow. Uh, so I, I came in and obviously it was moderately better, which I think would tell them that I'm trainable. Regardless, they ended up offering me the job. And let me tell you. And and I don't know if anybody out there knows. I mean, everyone thinks media makes a ton of money. And let me just tell you, unless you are like a handful, especially local media, you don't. <laughs> but it was a great opportunity. So they offered me the job. You're going to laugh. And by the way, nowadays, like when you do like a, a morning show, like you are hired typically as a full-time employee, even though the show might be three hours, right? Yep. It's not just showing up and, hey, there's my job. I mean, there's a lot that goes into being on television and prepping for shows. And it's beyond what people see at home. Mm-hmm. So they offered me what they called part-time, which I think was kind of, you know, obviously a way to sort of not pay as much. But hey, I'd never been in TV before, especially like as a broadcaster. They paid me $15,000. I took it. That's you know what? And it was, and then I ended up bartending on the side. I was the day bartender at Joey, um, off in Jasper Avenue. Darren Getty hired me. I used to work with him at Earl's. Now he kind of runs all of the the Joey's and I think North America. But uh, I ended up, you know, getting another gig. So I'd work on on the morning show, and then right after I got off air, I whipped down the road to Joey Joey Tomatoes. It was called back then, 
And I was a day bartender. So I'd be like, I'm, you know, load, loading up the liquor order, cutting the limes. I'd make my way through the lunch rush because I had to make a living. And it was one of those things where I was just so, I didn't even care about the money. It wasn't about that. It was like, wow, what a cool thing that I got a job in television. And, you know, fast forward, of course, as time goes on, people started going, hey, you look a lot like that girl in the morning show. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think the company liked that very much because it, you know, the optics of having me work, which was nothing wrong with where I was working. It's just the optics of it. And so they ended up offering me full time and paid me $30,000 double. Wow. But still, even that, like that same for me, like my first gig in radio was like 14 grand a year, like some shit like that. Terrible. Well, opportunities, right? And so, you know, clearly, I mean, obviously, I, you know, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. I've done, I've done well, yes. uh, but I've worked for it. And, and I think, you know, I think it was honestly that willingness to go in this particular case, it's not about the money for me. I, what a great opportunity. I'm going to do what it takes to make it work. And then, you know, here I am today. I think I done. Okay. I think I done good. Yeah. You know, and thanks to Jim Haskins and, you know, the folks there in Edmonton that gave me the opportunity. I never complained about what I made. I only tell the story just because it gives people perspective, right? Oh, sure. Like people expect you to be like just rolling in the money, coming home, tossing bills around like it's crazy. It's like, it's not like that. It's like that for some people, but it's not like that for everybody. So what what did you want to do like in high school and stuff? Was it always, were you pretty focused on getting into, you know, media and stuff or like, what was it? Well, no, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I mean, I, a, I didn't think media would happen until the opportunity literally presented it to it, you know, presented itself to me because of my music. Mm. But I'd say even in high school, if you kind of go, okay, let's backtrack, let's reverse engineer the story of Don Chubay. Uh, you know, I didn't even think I would necessarily be a singer. I mean, I was always somebody who, you know, we, we did the backyard concerts and mom would bring out the lemonade and I'd set up Slurpee Queens, which was my trio. We were kind of like the Supremes, but not, um, awesome. there you go. Um, but no, I, you know, I was shy in high school. Um, I wouldn't say I was popular, but I also wasn't unpopular. I just kind of blended. There would be a handful of people now that would reach out to me and say, I remember you in high school and, and in junior high. And, and I'm like, really? Cause I barely remember any of it. It just, I, I have like pockets of memories because there was just nothing exceptional. Um, I don't think about me or my time there, but you know, people would tell me now that they remembered I was blah, 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 this, that, or the other thing. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do honestly Todd I was a mediocre student at best mostly because I wasn't passionate about anything that I was learning about and I think that happens with a lot of creative people um you know I graduated barely I didn't do any post-secondary other than you know the odd you know adult learning where you know you did a few human resources classes at the you know university of extension at the U of A mm. and that kind of thing but uh you know I just my life has, I could, I could backtrack to every job that I've had. And it was literally someone said, Hey, you'd be good at this. And then I went and I went, okay. And then I went and been good at it and not without lots of help and obviously dedication. I don't take that for granted, but it was literally people seeing potential and then going, I think you could do this. I mean, that's how my music career started, mm -hmm. right? Like I had a I had a guy I worked with when I was working at that nursing association I mentioned, and he ended up buying a bar on White Ave and uh, it was going to be a jazz bar. And he said, Hey, you sing, right? Cause I did musical theater, community musical theater, nothing professional. Mm. I did do, a, I, I performed in a one band, you know, like lots of singers do make some money on the side to have some fun. And he goes, you've got a jazz group, don't you? And I said, yeah, I didn't have a jazz group. I had a gig for three years, every single Monday night at Dallas. Wow. <laughs> and that's how it all started. That's crazy. And, and so like, if you're looking back over the, you know, what did you do? 23 years on air, 25 years on air. 23. What, what are some of the immediate highlights that come to mind? Oh, I mean, listen, without question, it's, it's being exposed to so many great people, you know, this right causes, you know, and, and I know that sounds like, oh yeah, sure. You know, but no, it's true. I mean, you, the people that you meet, the, access that you have and the opportunity which also of course means responsibility in in highlighting some really important people and 
concepts, even if I even kind of go concepts, because it, it could be, you know, really the idea of, okay, how important is, you know, kids in sport and kids having access to sport. So when I would do breakfast television in Vancouver and keep in mind, I worked, you know, in Edmonton, I worked in Vancouver. And then I also worked in, in Toronto uh, at the shipping channel for sort of going out an entrepreneur, but you know, having the opportunity to do love eyes, you know, with the caps and the camps that they do for the kids or, uh, you know, being able to promote, um, you know, like arts and all that kind of stuff there. I think, you know, highlights, it's hard to pick one. I mean, was it cool to meet Dr. Sanjay Gupta in Vancouver? Yeah. I mean, that was cool, but it's, it's actually not the celebrities that come to mind first. And so, you know, 23 years is a lot to unpack sure. and to think like, what were our favorite moment? But I have to say, it's just the accumulation of absolutely every experience I had every time I had to get up early and like everybody else that goes to work at whatever job you do sometimes like literally push yourself out of bed and then realizing man I get to do this I think it's just it's all-encompassing favorite parts not one all of it all of it's the favorite that is such a great answer like so nails the industry like straight up that's a great answer and so tell us about uh, LiveSellingSchool.com and how you got into that. So it's kind of exciting. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I can tell the longest story. I'm not, you know, I don't get paid by the by the word here. That's for sure. It's, you know, it really starts, you know, working at, at TSC for the last year because Brad and I had moved back to Vancouver after leaving Vancouver. Um, he had he had had an opportunity back here in Vancouver, but I actually commuted for a full year back to Toronto. So I kind of worked a really great deal. And thanks to the folks at Rogers that even thought this was possible because you know, on, on, on air, there's no such thing as working. Well, no. radio may be a little different, but in television, you can't work remote. Like you just can't when you're at, when you have a studio, that's where it happens. Uh, there's more opportunities obviously in radio for sure. Um, but they worked a deal where I said, listen, let's front load or back load or mid load my entire month's worth of work in 10 days. So I worked 10 full days in a row, no break, but I would commute. Right. So I'd stay in a hotel. I stayed in a hotel near the station. And, you know, I took a bit of a pay cut, but hey, like fair, because I was not doing maybe as many days, but I got to keep my full time, all that, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, about, you know, seven months into it, I just, I found myself not being able to sleep because I just came up with this thought process of, of live stream shopping, which, you know, at its core is kind of based on, you know, obviously the success of TV home shopping. So QVC, HSN, TVSN, ShopLC, and obviously TSC in uh, in Canada, which is, you know, the only TV home shopping network. But even those shopping networks were doing live stream shopping. And it's not the same as linear or for anybody, you know, listening or watching, it's not the same as what you see on TV. It's actually, it would be a separate broadcast. So, um, you know, something you can watch on your phone and click to shop without, you know, necessarily going out of the program. So it's, 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 it's shopping and entertainment is what it really is. And so I started to just really research and, you know, taking my passion for media training, which I have done for the last 16 years, even while working in television, training some of the best chefs in the country and fitness professionals and book authors and, you know, bartenders and sommeliers. I mean, I, I've got an extensive resume with that. And I thought there's something here. I feel there's something here. And I was, I started to research and I went down the rabbit hole of white papers. I didn't even know what a white paper was, which is basically research, right? Someone spends a lot of money and does a lot of research. And, and so I started downloading these white papers to the point where like my memory on my computer was gone. I almost had to buy another computer, it felt like, or some sort of hard drive. And I started to realize there's no one teaching live selling talent, which is what they call people that sell on live stream, specifically in Asia, where we're talking like an over $600 billion industry, live stream shopping. So that's what they started to call and talk about this growing roster of live selling talent. Now, full disclosure in the US, it's, you know, US Canada, it's obviously not to that level. But listen, you can start to see like, hey, something's happening here. Mm -hmm. So I started to look and I'm like, there's nobody doing this. So I thought, well, gosh, I, I know how to teach people. I'm good at teaching people. I am credible because I do this. 
like at its core, it is the same kind of concept of what I do as a TV home shopping host and what, you know, home shopping networks have done for over 50 years. And no, it's not going to be oldie moldy. No, it's not going to be old fashioned. If you want to sell thigh masters and all that stuff, go for it. But, but I don't, you know, I didn't want people to think it was like that. I wanted to them know it's modern and transferable in those live selling skills. So I realized no one was doing this. I created course it's just in the final stages of recording actually as soon as i get off with you today i've got to record my next few modules and i i I open pre-enrollment for uh live selling schools learn the hsh method of live selling and let's all together guess what hsh might stand for home shopping host and so that's where it's going and uh the number of calls and emails and messages i've received literally and zoom calls like this that i've done I'm not even joking around the world, Singapore, Tel Aviv, New York. Uh, In a couple of weeks, I've got Denmark uh, with one of the shopping platforms there because nobody is accessing that, that how to train the talent to be able to host a home shopping home, which all of these platforms require talent and the brands require talent to be able to do that. And so I'm doing it, baby. That's yeah. and that, and I left I left a big company and a secure all the things that happen when you're with a company um to pursue this full time. So that's what's that's what's happening. I th- I feel it in my bones that this is where I'm supposed to be and uh the res- you know the response so far has been uh validating if I can say that Todd. That's so awesome, so exciting. And so like what is an average day for you or is, or is there even an average day? So You'll know this because, you know, you're an entrepreneur, right? I mean, anybody that's not, I have never worked so long and so hard. And yet it doesn't feel like work. How many of us, how many of you out there have, you know, gone to work and thought, oh my gosh, what a grind. Oh my gosh. Is it hump day yet? I got to get over the hump because that gets me closer to the weekend. I hate Mondays because that means the weekend is over. And since I started this venture, I have I've been putting in no word of a lie. My my husband thinks I don't even exist because I'm on the couch constantly on my laptop, creating content, scripting, working through my modules, and of course filming and promoting, marketing, and all of that. Probably work 15 hours a day, and I would say seven days a week, which I know is not healthy, but it's where we're at right now, and I'm so passionate about it. But in no way am I ever going, oh my gosh, I can't wait for the weekend. Oh my gosh, it's mm. just for me. That's where the secret, you know, sauce is. That's like where the 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 light bulb moment. And I get that it's a privilege to be able to do this. I'm not, you know, gosh, I mean, how lucky do I get to do this and focus on my passion? But yeah, it doesn't feel like work, but I've never worked so long and hard as I'm mm-hmm. as I've done in the last, you know, specifically since I left Rogers uh in the last three and a half months. Yeah. Yeah, that brings super true. Like the first two years of this podcast, I was just, I, I never stopped. It's never stopped. It's not like that now, thankfully, but I have people helping and whatever. But at the start, I didn't at all. So interesting. Um, Don, I would love to get outside of media and, you know, hosting and everything that you're, you're known for. What do you, what are you binge watching when you find yeah, time? Oh my gosh. I, so right now, I just actually this morning, because I was supposed, you know, you emailed me and I was like literally in the middle of, you know, season three, episode eight of Physical on Apple TV Oh, what's uh, that? with Rose Byrne. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I mean, I don't think it's based on a true story, but it's sort of based on that health industry of back in the day when aerobics first started coming out and, you know, the idea of working out at home and all that, which of course, fast forward now, like, I mean, selling fitness equipment on TSC. Welcome to my life, right? I mean, it's just so <laughs> funny how all of that. I enjoy that. Um, I, I mean, I did kind of get into the Yellowstone and all those other kinds of things. But I, I'll be honest, like right now, I don't have a ton of time to watch TV. But when I do, it's usually something on Apple TV or Netflix. I mean, I'm very rarely like the rest of the world. Unfortunately, this is why the state of media is a little bit where it is. I don't usually have appointment television anymore, fortunately. But that, hey, that's the future, right? And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing with live selling school too. So it's, I mean, again, it's all manifesting into in human behavior. What about you? What about you? I'm curious. Probably no one asks you what you watch. Yeah, nobody does actually. No, if they never turn the table. Uh, right now I'm watching that uh, F1 racing series. Okay. Which is super crazy because of just knowing how, you know, to put together a really good show and a good program and all that. And like, just to know the background, like 
they're not telling us how many hours it took to create all these things, but I know how long it took. Like they're following every single team, 10 teams. It's like interspliced between other things. And it's just like madness, but it's so, so good. And it makes me, you know, it makes me want to create better podcasts. It makes me want to be a better creator when I see stuff like that. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that stuff still to this day, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years and it still drives me still. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you talk about that, because we do get as creators inspiration from, from many different forms. And I also look at, you know, back in the day when I was working on breakfast television in Vancouver. And and again, this is, you know, keep in mind, I was with BT Vancouver for 13 years mm-hmm. and only gone from it in the last you know, seven, I, I guess seven or so. Um, what did I move? Yeah. I'm t- 2017. I think I kind of wrapped my last show, mm-hmm. but you know, I was, rec- I was doing live eyes at the SVCA and, you know, came up with this idea of, Hey, maybe we should do like a BT pet of the week. And obviously as all the media stations, I mean, there's just no resources, right. They're not going to send a camera to do it like a once a week, a little highlight on animals and this and that. And so I took my camcorder cause I did go buy one. Cause I had one obviously needed for my media training. Although let me tell you, as creators, just so you know, this works just as good as anything. Oh, yeah. Just so you know, exactly. <laughs> and better in most cases, because it's handy. Uh, but I would sit there and I would record, uh, you know, the animal I wanted to feature. Uh, I would interview um, Kim Monteith, who was with SPCA. And then I would edit it together on iMovie. And I didn't even appear on camera. It was literally this little thing I put together and it would air on BT. And so, and I did that based on sort of you know, watching like Global, for instance, who would often have, you know, their their SPCA segments or watching something that we would see on maybe some of the American channels. And so the inspiration just even to become a creator uh, came from sort of all of that, but then also what we were seeing in social media, which let's not forget, it was still kind of new, right? Okay. Still kind of new back then. And to see how that can translate into something that could be somewhat more mainstream, something that could be inspiring, even for a professional TV person. Can you imagine the amount of hours I'd be spending and the amount of time I'm sure you've done as well, Todd, where you're doing something because it's a passion project and you get to kind of work through the bugs of how to edit on iMovie and how to film and get good composition and make sure you got enough headroom and this and that. And all the things you learn through osmosis, through working with such talented people as you have, and definitely I did working on breakfast television, Mm -hmm. you know, and then to realize, gosh, like that all made me a better creator. Was it the broadcasting? Maybe sure. Of course, but it was actually the access to information, whether it was on YouTube TV or people that were professionals and experts in their field. And then me fake my way through it mm-hmm. and then turn it into a job. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. Like, you know, f- f- for, for me, the radio side, like how could I not be a better broadcaster working around Larry and Willie? Bill Courage and Jeff O'Neill and Steve Dunbar and you know all these guys that were just so good at what they did at the start of my career like how could you not soak that up I don't think it's possible yeah it just seeps through you it does if you're right? being, yeah, just- if you're really into it, it it will it just has to anyway yeah I mean it's like if you if you didn't know you never spoke French in your whole life and yet you know you, your parents moved you to France even if you never actually took a French lesson you would learn how to speak French reasonably right. well and probably better than most because you would learn it the way it's really spoken in the real world right. and maybe that's sort of what everything is when you sort of again open and you do right you have to open yourself up to that I think there maybe times where people and and I probably have fit into that as well although I like to consider myself fairly open um where people just go no 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 that's mm-hmm. not what I do mm-hmm. no 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 that's not what we do no 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 that's not what I was taught and right. I think you, you know in this day and age where get it like it's hard for employers to find staff for sure but it's also um a time where if someone wants to work uh, and if an employer wants to hire somebody to tap into what's important to them, do they want the opportunity um, to try different things that are beyond the norm? As a person out there that maybe maybe you're looking for work or looking for opportunities, you know, are you willing to kind of go beyond what you were taught when you were when you were in school mm-hmm. or the way your parents did it or your grandparents did it? And I think if you open yourself up to that, if you think maybe I could do this, and if I want to do this. How do I reverse engineer what that outcome is going to be? So if I want to be, 
a podcast host, if I want to be a TV host, if I want to be a live selling talent, if I want to sit there and host live stream shows for Macy's or for pet store or for whatever, whatever your passion is, mm-hmm. if you sit there and go reverse engineer, what does it take to get there? More often than not, courses, sure. Yeah. Take my course. Go ahead. Go to, go to BCIT, go to Nate. Go. It's the, it's the openness to mm-hmm. go. I'm willing to do what it takes and it might not be in a traditional way. And then I think you find your way and the path starts opening up. I mean, I believe in that law of attraction. I believe in all that if if it's not obvious. Uh, But I do think that, you know, some of the best opportunities come from listening, looking and, and completely having an open mind and then sort of find the path, reverse engineer the path to get to where you want to be. No, I totally agree. I mean, I've had, you know, plenty of people say to me, like, you're so lucky to have a a really successful podcast. It's like, if you knew, like, it's, it's not that it's just easy. It's just hard work. I put a lot of work into it. It's, there's no secret to success beyond, you know, of course, having the skill to be able to do it first off. But then, you know, beyond that, if you're going to work hard, you're going to, you will succeed. It's hard work. Well, and I'll say that, yes, it's hard work because you're willing to work hard. Right. Not everybody that hosts a podcast or does whatever it is they do. Some people do just, they have maybe a natural talent and that's allowed them to coast and that's fine. But you can only go so far with that as well. You Mm -hmm. have a successful podcast because you have worked hard to make a successful podcast, right? I might make a podcast. It might not be successful, right? (laughs) Right. So, only because I wouldn't necessarily feel that that's where my energies are best spent. I've chosen, you know, another another way to to put my energies out there into good use to tap into my talent. But you know, mm-hmm. do, you know, I know you're not cutting yourself short. I'm just saying not everybody does put the work in. I think a lot of people think they can host a podcast. Yeah, let me just talk on a phone and host a podcast. That's not the same as what you're doing. You're producing entire shows. You're researching your guests. You're doing what you did when you worked in traditional media. That's what you're doing, which is which is a career. Cool. It's not a hobby. It's a career. And that's the difference. People right. will work hard when you know it can be your career, which is why, you know, like when you sit there and me, like, why would I leave such a great gig? Because because I know what my next career is going to be. And so, yeah, I might take a couple hits right now mm-hmm. because I'm building it just like you did. Right. There's no way you started off with a completely successful podcast right out of gate one. Of course not. Sure didn't. <laughs> right. But, but when you know it's where you're supposed to be, you'll work hard to get there. Right. And then my thing is, but of course, it's going to be successful because I feel that. And you, when you know you're doing the right thing, and you know this too, Todd, you know you're doing the right thing. You don't question it. You just know it might, yeah, there might be twists and turns, sure. but it's it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to the music side of your life, like what did you grow up around? What were your parents playing and stuff in the home? Little everything. I mean, we had one of those. I don't know if you remember. They looked like a coffee table, but they were like really big. And you opened it up, and then you had the turntable on one side, the yeah. cassette over there, and in the center, an eight track. <laughs> nice, <laughs> so good. And so we had everything. I mean, we had Kenny Rogers, Neil Diamond. I remember uh, one of my favorite eight tracks, Jethro Tull. Mm. Nice, right? And yeah. Murray. I mean, you know, we had this was back in the day where you had eight track. In your car. So we would take like a, right. You would, we would take a trip across Canada. My mom took us while my dad was working and we were listening to like, I remember listening to Snowbird and Murray. Right. And, and all the great, all the great music. But yeah, I mean, we had a very musically diverse household, you know, whether it was country rock and roll. I mean, we had everything from Conway Twitty to Barbara Streisand to Linda Ronstadt. Uh, One of my favorite albums was um, Carol King's Tapestry. Right. Mm. I mean, who, who didn't, who even now who doesn't love that album that's like yeah. one of the greats uh, the very diverse i mean i've got like a, a right my husband's had a huge uh, record collection I noticed got that the turn- you, yeah that's great and we got everything i mean he's a big rush fan so that, well, that's that's it? something i mean if you're, you're from canada you better be a rush fan right right but i mean you know i like it all uh, so growing up i was exposed to it all you know because my music was really sort of centered in around jazz and by no means was i like the scatty jazz and traditional jazz uh but i liked you know the you know i love diana crawl i mean i'm going modern you know where do we start with that ella fitzgerald billy holiday of course uh cassandra wilson still one of my favorite um 
you know, jazz artists, but, you know, one of the albums we just listened to uh, the other night was a Miles Davis album. So yeah, diverse. There's no one group. I think all music has something to offer. And what's interesting, and you'd know this as well, Todd, is a lot of the music that we're seeing right now. And, and I don't know if there's ever been a time where music has been so heavily influenced by the past as now, because if I listen to those old albums, like if I listen to Tony Bennett and if I listen to, you know, any of the old, any of the older albums, what were they inspired by? Like they weren't sampling. Right. Uh, like what? Right. I'm trying to think like they weren't sampling other things. They probably were. But now almost every song you listen to, I find myself going, Oh yeah, I hear a bit of this in it. Mm. Oh Yeah. I hear a bit of that in it. And sometimes the actual song just being reworked yeah. in the background of a new song. There's there's not a lot of creativity. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say create creativity is is about being inspired. So I I, I disagree with that, but I would say um the level of originality sure. maybe yeah, is not as prominent if yeah. that if i can say that because i don't want to upset people i mean obviously i mean we're all i mean i i only wrote a, two songs all my other songs on my album were were covers so i mean hey i'm i'm the least original <laughs> but you know we all interpret things different ways yeah yeah and what was the first concert you went to so the first concert that I went to with my parents, it was actually Bob Dylan and Tracy Chapman was opening. I couldn't even tell you what, what year that was, but it was in Edmonton. Tracy Chapman was opening and it was Bob Dylan. Uh, and so that was the first one I went to. My my parents took us kids. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the first, I, I want to say one of the first ones I went to where I paid myself was Chicago um, with Peter Cetera. Because mm. obviously different incarnations of Chicago, but with with Peter Cetera. Mm -hmm. Oh, that one had to be a mind blower. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know why. I mean, obviously I like Chicago, but why was that my first? I don't know. Like I was old enough. I had I had enough money to buy a ticket and it was coming. I, I have no idea because my criteria now for what what would you know make me purchase a ticket, especially at the prices they are right now, and mm. to to dedicate like a night of my time, maybe traveling for it the criteria I have is like, it's a list like this now, <laughs> as opposed to back then it would have been like, where's everyone else going? Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, the prices since uh, uh post pandemic has just been mental. Like what yeah. is with the $300 tickets, $500 tickets, thousand dollar tickets. Like what, what? And the assumption and the assumption that of course I need to go mom, dad, can I have $300 to go to, or whatever to go see Taylor Swift. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, like I can imagine asking my parents for three or five hundred dollars, which you know, now in today's dollars would be, you know, yeah. whatever, but couldn't imagine. I know, you know? Right. And then if you had to pay for it yourself, like that's that's that was rent back then. Sure. And even now it would be like if you're living in Vancouver, a five hundred dollar ticket at the very lowest, you're looking at what, a third of the rent? Right to go to a concert that you may or may not like and you may or may not even have seats good enough to see in fact most of the times i always think it's so funny because nowadays you know you're watching on a on, on a on a jumbotron sure right one of the yeah. best concerts i'll say that i went to in recent years was billy joel oh my gosh and sting but those guys they're singing it in the same key they're not having to lower it to the bass clef or whatever how many keys down yeah the Billy Joel, though, one of the best concerts. If you and I think he's doing kind of his goodbye tour right now. Mm, I think really, I don't know. I'm I'm mixing them all together. We were just in New York and we didn't go see him. It, the tickets were it was like six hundred bucks US, and I just I didn't want to pay that. And also, it's like we're there for a short time, but it would have been good. But I've seen him before, so it was fine. But man, if you get a chance to see Billy Joel, mm. you will not be disappointed yeah. at all. Even if it's a six hundred dollar ticket, I would say that's it. That's one worth seeing. Yeah, you'll have that six hundred dollar ticket and that eighteen dollar beer, and it won't bother you. Click, 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 click. That's right. Art, you'd mentioned, um, you know, training cooks and stuff, and it kind of jogged me uh, of thinking of like, are you a good cook? Like, will you? Yeah, you know, I think if, so. If you have my friends husband over, doesn't like, complain. Okay, that's good. Like, what are you? What are you making if you have friends over and you want to impress? So I, I, I like homemade pasta. Like I'm talking, I make the dough and I. Oh, roll nice. it out. I mean, I've got, I mean, working at TSC, I mean, come on, I have like a KitchenAid attachment that, you know, I can feed the dough through, so I'm not cranking it. 
Although, <laughs> yeah. you know, that would be fine too. Sure. Um, yeah, so I do make a really good, I make beautiful homemade pasta with some of the simplest sauces that I've, you know, watched like everybody else on TV, Food mm -hmm. Network and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that and, and come, you know, as soon as the weather starts getting cold, um, you know, a beautiful roast chicken. I mean, I don't get super complex. I'm not digging out the tweezers to grab the microgreens. Yeah. Uh, right now I've got like, I mean, I subscribe to HelloFresh. That's not a plug, by the way, I pay for HelloFresh, but I do that because, um, sometimes it's just like, what do we make? Brad gets home a little bit later. Do I want to have this big sort of thought process? I'm busy too. So I do a bit of that, but but it's all stemming from the idea that I do like being in the kitchen. I do like the prep. I do enjoy the sizzle. I enjoy the aromas. I mm. absolutely despise the dishes. <laughs> so, um, you know, my thought is, 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 you know, as soon as I can just sort of go ahead and call someone in to just clean it all up every day or have a, you know, have a room set aside so that they could just, I need a babysitter is really what I need. <laughs> I need someone to just do all the stuff I don't want to do, you know, clean up after me, wash my makeup off. Oh, that's great. That's well, that's the deal that my wife and I have. I do the cooking and she does the cleaning afterwards. Cause I like you, I hate it. I, I mean, I love messing things up, but I have not the patience to clean everything up. Does anyone I'm just curious, like, I get that there are people like if you watch HGTV, I get that there are people that that I love cleaning. I think it's like it's even like sales and TV, right? You you don't you don't so much sell the feature, right? You sell the benefit. So right. I'm not sure that does anyone really like cleaning? Or do they just love the clean house? Right? Like when we would sell mops at TSC, we weren't selling a mop, we were selling clean floors. We were selling the idea of clean floors. And so to that point, does anybody really like the actual cleaning or do they just like the result? Probably the result. Yeah. That's my thought. But maybe there, I don't remember someone out there. Somebody's come to crazy. me. Maybe come to me. If you like cleaning, I will call Todd right now right. and he'll give you my email address and you're welcome to come on. Swing on by. All right, Don, I'm, I'll ask you a couple more and we'll wrap it up. Thank you again for your time uh, today. Oh my God, thanks so much for asking. What a, what a thrill to be able to be asked. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, I, it's not necessarily a question. It's I generally ask everybody that comes on if they have a near-death story where you're like, holy shit, I could have just died there. Mm. Not, I don't think so. I, you know, honestly, I've, I've, I play it pretty safe in the world. I mean, mm. I think one time I had, I had gone on a road trip, uh, as camping or something with whatever boyfriend it was. And, and I think I had fallen asleep in the passenger side, which, you know, happens, you know, you know, when you're on a road trip, right? Someone else is driving, you get to relax. And I think I woke up right at the moment where he was doing a lane change and there was a, a semi coming at, and he just, ch -ch -ch, I, that would be the only thing I think of. And yeah, no, I wasn't happy at all, yeah. obviously, because that was just like, to me, I'm not a, I, I'm not a risk taker in that sense. I might be a risk taker in other ways. And so for me, uh, the idea that someone would not only take a risk with their life, but would risk my life. I just, that was, yeah, that relationship didn't last. <laughs> That's it. You're done. <laughs> didn't last. But no, yeah, nothing too crazy. Yeah. I'd say nothing too crazy. What about you? What yeah. about you? Oh, I've had a few. I almost yeah? got by a train when I was in grade three, running across a train trestle uh, in Kitimat. And the choice yeah. was like jump into the Kitimat River or hopefully make it across the train trestle. And I oh went go across and like, I literally jumped off. And as I'm jumping off, I could feel the rush of the train push past me. Uh, been really close to mauled by a big black bear up in Terrace. Like really close um i've had some pretty dicey airplane rides where people are like doing the whatever the, the rosary or whatever that's called the oh my god oh that like yeah yeah like people weren't strapped into, wrong. strapped into their chairs and, and you oh know like gosh. they're flying to the top of the the plane and shit like yeah i've had some pretty dicey stuff most people have yeah i mean i'd have to you know as soon as we get done with this i'll probably think text of me better like, oh shit i almost did this oh my yeah. god i forgot this really actually happened <laughs> i mean i would say i haven't any close near-death experiences but you know i don't know if you ever with the easter seals did you ever do the drop zone as yes. part of the media uh, yeah the, right yeah. where you repel down and i actually 
too bad I don't have it handy. It would take too long to scroll through it. But I was wearing a latex cat suit and stiletto <laughs> heels. And funny, you brought up Larry and Willie. So we actually awesome. uh, did a simulcast where they uh, hopped in to our show on breakfast television. And then I think we kind of also broadcast on, I guess it was Jack FM that they were doing. Yeah. And uh, we did throughout the whole morning where they were like, you know, I kind of, I start off wearing a trench coat and, you know, I was doing the weather obviously too. Cause what, you know, I think it was the Axis building right downtown Burrard and, uh, and Hastings that I was rappelling down. And the mm -hmm. idea is by my last weather hit, that's when I would do the rappelling, you know, it's that art of the tease, right? Get, keep keep people watching sure. and uh yeah so at the end of it you know we revealed i took off my trench coat and i'm wearing this you know rubber suit basically for all intents and purposes <laughs> yeah, yeah. skin tight i don't know which was scarier repelling down the building or wearing that latex cat suit because he had to dress like a you know catwoman suit because he had to be like a superhero so it was kind of like that michelle pfeiffer yeah cat suit that's what it would look like without the without the creepy you know s&m hat and and uh and yeah so i would say going over the edge of that especially live on tv it wasn't a near-death experience but, but that be. would be one <laughs> of the most scary moments and of course it's safe i mean window washers do it all the time they wouldn't have us do it live on air if it wasn't safe clearly although they do make you sign a waiver saying if you die you're not going to sue us which doesn't make sense uh, i guess if you get hurt yeah. um but yeah i mean i'd say that would be the scare most scared i've been if I was going to reverse the question a little bit. Yeah. I once did, uh, when I was doing a morning show in Victoria, they uh, had us do all these crazy things like cave spelunking, white water rafting, and skydiving. And they were like, you have to skydive. And I'm like, I'm not skydiving, man. There's no chance I'm not doing that. And they're like, you have to. And it, long story short, I did. And it was super fun, exhilarating and everything else. But like the things you do for your job, who in their right mind would jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Well, it's peer pressure. I mean, ultimately, and listen, I had great experiences that I never would have had if it weren't for that pressure with the red light on is what we uh, call that when, you know, when you're live, right? Because you right. can't turn back. Like I'm sitting there one leg over the edge and my producer, Deb Wally is looking at me and she goes, I saw in your eyes, they started to water. and But you can't, you cannot turn back. Yeah. So when you think about it, I mean- you get pressured to do a lot, but I mean, it's always for the, the whole reason for anyone watching like, oh my gosh, like a retreated poorly because we're pressured to like do these cool things, jump out of it. Of course not. The idea is to, is to allow people to experience through us, right? What maybe they would do or wouldn't do, or they just want to see that you're a real person and you get scared like someone else and, and you do the holy shit. Oh my God. Right. And I mean, that's kind of a little bit like with my, with my, you know, live selling school is, is when you're, when you're selling product through a screen and this is the same with home shopping, right? When you go into a store, you can, as a customer, touch things yourself. You can smell things. You can taste things. When you're buying through a screen, like knock, 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 you have to be able to touch, taste and try on to make a purchase. Most people feel they need to do that. So as a host, and so this is whether you're a traditional broadcast host or a live selling talent live stream shopping host, home shopping host. Um, it's the idea of letting people feel and experience vicariously through you, which is, you know, the skills that I'm teaching. But to bring it back to what we're talking about, I mean, it's not that we're pressured to do things. It's not that, oh my gosh, Todd, you have to do this. Well, you have to because it's part of your job you get paid to. But there is a reason behind it. It's not to make you scared. It's not to make you uncomfortable. And if it is, it's so that you can be relatable to what other people might be experiencing in life when they're uncomfortable, when they're a little bit scared. And that's the privilege. You know, people say media is really powerful, but it's it's the privilege that we get to do that that makes it such a cool, cool thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a, what a trip to be in in this industry, huh? It is. Very, very lucky. Very lucky that one day someone said, hey, we think you'd be good at this. Then they told me I sucked. And then they gave <laughs> me another shot. And here we are 23 years later. So yeah, what a trip. What a yeah. trip. But the journey still continues, right? And how how lucky are we that we get to do that? Yeah. Well, that was actually how I'm going to, I want to wrap things up is like, where do you see yourself in five years with the live selling school? Um, still doing it? What, what do you think you're going to be doing in well, five years? Well, I mean, developing a whole new way of selling. And listen, it's based, obviously, I mean, sales is sales, right? I'm I'm offering another way to do it that reaches people in a different way. So, you know, once I've got my method out there and people are doing it, I mean, I'm part of that growing roster and development of live selling talent. So in five years, 
you know, will, will I still be working a one-on-one with people in corporations? Cause that's where I see this going. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the course that I'm doing, which anybody can access. And I think there's lots of reasons to learn live selling skills. Even if you never want to sell on live screen, live stream, it's a, it's a different way of communicating. It's a deeper way of communicating as I just kind of alluded to. Um, but I see myself also working, uh, with large companies to help develop their brand ambassadors. I mean, I may never appear on TV again. Like that's not what my goal is here. My goal is to develop people and train people, which is, which is my passion, but it's based on my expertise. So in five years from now, I think that we are definitely going to see, although again, I mentioned China, how big live stream selling is there and shopping, uh, how it's not nearly that in the U S but the projections are, are incredible with the opportunity. And so I think what's going to happen is I will have been a part, a small part in helping grow that industry and and grow that talent. In five years, if things go well, I hope to be on a beach somewhere, somewhere and maybe doing the odd Zoom call. A hundred percent. But you know, but not because I wouldn't want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I I I see this and I'm not trying to be arrogant or or anything about it. I I really believe this is something um, that people need, that brands need and are going to want as they grow their own influencer and brand marketing strategies. And I see this becoming a system. I see there, there being people all over the world that will not only be using the techniques, my HSH method, um, but may even be teaching it on behalf of my live selling school. I, that's what I believe is going to happen. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. And it might not happen in two years, but in five years, I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. It is a head, head down and grind. You've got a great start. And that's, you know, it's often the the hardest thing as they say, like the, the toughest thing about the journey is that first step. You're there. Now it's just yeah. go time. Well, I mean, I appreciate you so much for thinking of me, Todd. And oh my gosh, like just blast from the pasts and how all our worlds end up colliding. But, uh, you know, the fact that you were interested in all just, it, it really did mean the world to me. Well, that's great. Well, thank you uh, again for jumping on, uh, Don. You're easy to find on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, Don Chubay. Don Chubay. Don Chubay. Don Chubay. .com for everything else. And and livesellingschool.com. So if it's just regular media training, you can go donchubay.com. But if you really are interested in in if just even want to know what live selling is, just go to livesellingschool.com or just Google me. You'll find me on all the different ways and I can direct you in the right way if you if you have a specific need. Great. Awesome, Don. Thank you again for doing this and uh, have a great day. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Todd. Subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify at Toddcast Podcast. Hi. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And together, we run Buffering, a rewatch adventure, a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.